and I almost quit so many times not because they were doing anything wrong but just because that whole like anxiety if you will and, and, and lack of confidence in myself kind of started to make me feel no maybe this is too much because I didn't have that peer-to-peer sport. On the podcast today, our guest is Sophia Chambers-Dixon, lead engineer at Egress. And we talked to her about her journey into a STEM career and how it doesn't always have to follow the path that teachers or parents might suggest that it does. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast with myself, David Savage, talking to leaders from across the industry and bringing you a little bit of technology news. Joining me today, I have Akish. How are you? This lovely, warm day. Funnily enough, we're recording the podcast on the day it goes out, quite rare, because of the bank holiday. Mm, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, lovely lovely and warm, and it's carried on from the weekend, so can't complain. Can't complain I, was very, I was very tempted to record in the garden again. Really? I've, I would, but I've got... My, one One neighbour is, is going absolutely mental with a, a lawnmower from about 7 o'clock this morning. And then I've mental. got the other, yeah, like literally, mate. How I'm do you going, go mental with a lawnmower? <laughs> I don't know what she's, I don't know what she's cutting to be fair. If I could show you, I would, but like, yeah, she's just going mental. And then the other side, she's, uh, yeah, she's doing something with a streamer. So I've got all kinds of noises happening in the garden um, at the moment. So I thought the home office slash spare bedroom is, is the best thing um, at the moment. I did a bit of weeding this weekend, but nothing, nothing yeah. more kind of, nothing more physically exerting than that. I probably should cut the grass, but yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever. Let, I mean, no, let, no let one could come around and see it. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> There's no point, mate. There's no point. Just relax, mate. Just relax. <laughs> That's all. You When's can your do. next eye test, you? By the way, I mean, I know this is audio. People can't you know see what? you wearing glasses, but no. Do you know what? I was thinking about this. It is actually due. It was due last month. I was actually generally thinking about it because I got an email through from Specsaver saying, "Oh, you're now due for your contact lens." Uh, appointment thing as well and i was like well that's a bit weird i can't really go in so who knows you should just drive over there and if you can see on the way then you're fine yeah yeah you don't you don't need new glasses yeah exactly (laughs) exactly exactly but i don't know oh dear right uh today's podcast is a chat with sophia chambers dixon um she's from egress software technologies uh we will jump into this interview and then we'll come back with some conversation about it and a little bit of technology news straight away afterwards so today we're joined by sophia chambers dixon sophia you are a lead engineer at egress software technologies uh and you're in the intelligence api team how are you today hi david yes i'm good thank you how are you yeah, not too bad. You're joining us from Doncaster. Is the weather yes, is the weather good? Yep, sunny Donny, as always, as they say. I've got plenty of childhood memories of spending wasted time in Doncaster. I'll be perfectly fine with you, uh, honest with you, rather, because uh, my grandma lived in Grimsby. Oh, not too far then. Yeah, yeah. so I used to come down from Newcastle <laughs> and change at Donny to get across to Grimsby and just seem to spend a lot of time running under the tunnels underneath the platforms and then... Waiting for God knows how long for the train out to Grimsby or out to Cleethorpe, <laughs> end of the line. Anyway, look, thanks for your time to to join us today. Just very quickly, what what is your role? I mean, I know I said lead engineer, but what 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 do you actually do at Egress? What do I actually do at Egress? Well, that's a very interesting question. Um, so I'm a lead engineer. So my day to day is kind of around team management and product management and understanding the products that we're working on and providing effectively the end-to-end solution to what the product team are requesting from us so what the deliverables are 
what their objectives are for that month. And I work with and lead my team day to day to make sure that they're delivered and to a high quality standard. And how long have you have you been in that position for? I've only been here actually six months. Um, so I'm still quite fairly new. And obviously with the new working from home kind of enforced structure with the whole coronavirus situation, um, it's got challenges. Uh, so I was only really in the office for maybe three, four months tops. Um, so I'm still quite new to the role, in fairness. But you've been working as a full-time as a software developer now for a number of years. Yes, that's right. And uh, you won an award developer of the year in 2019, right? I did. And I'm sure many people that are hearing this right now that know me are absolutely sick to death of me uh, reiterating that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you should be proud of your achievements. Why not? <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, in London last year, um, I got awarded developer of the year for my work on Google Pay and the kind of extra work that I do with a nonprofit organization that I run called the Donny Job Shop. Yeah, look, we'll we'll probably get into that in a, in a minute. I think your background is absolutely fascinating because you yeah. you originally you got a job as a dental assistant, right? But yes. coding has always been a hobby. However, you uh, you started a family fairly young, and you basically you didn't feel like you had the time to pursue coding as a career option, right? And it took a few years for you to get to the point where you went, you know what, I can really focus on this. Yeah, that's, uh, that's absolutely right. Um, coding is what I didn't really understand at the time. When I started coding, I was around like eight, nine years old, and it was just messing around with um, CSS and style sheets and providing them on a virtual game called Neopets at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of started experimenting more around like PHP and HTML and uh, building little websites for family and friends on um, a Yahoo-related site called GeoCities, which some people might remember. Um I didn't really think that it would ever actually be considered really a, a full-time career. I didn't really think that, which sounds a bit strange at the moment, but I didn't have that guidance or training. I didn't really know anyone close to me that was kind of interested in coding, particularly being a female. Um, I'd not really picked IT throughout school. It was just kind of a hobby, as you said. Out of interest, where, where did that hobby come from then? Because so, there must have been some influence in your life that, that made you aware of what, what coding was. It's really strange. Um, when I was younger, I think it was like one or two, my dad had actually a computer um, downstairs in his office. And he used to say I used to just be fascinated with it. I'd sit there for like hours just playing with the keyboard. And then you could only really type, you know, orange letters on the on the screen, so to speak. Um, that's like my first kind of initial kind of exposure, if you will, um, to anything computer related. But it was more, it started kind of, I suppose, like with online gaming. Um, I was quite introvert as a child, so I was really quite anxious and shy and at home a lot, um, a bit of a nerd. And through playing online games, I started creating like skins and messing around with like cascade sheets. And then it kind of like evolved from there, really. And did no teachers or did your parents not kind of pick up on it when you were in education and go, that's the route you should go down? You know, you ended up as a dental assistant, right? So how did no yeah. one... So when I was younger, I was really, really talented in English literature and English language. And I think that uh, that was seen as probably more of the right way to kind of go. I mean, I got a um, scholarship offer for a university to kind of proceed with that. And that was kind of where, I don't know, I'd always assume it goes back to kind of not understanding that 
tech is. I also don't believe that any of my parents have ever understood what on earth I even get up to. Uh, and I think that plays a massive factor. I think when you're growing up, you know, there's a kind of a stigma that there's certain careers that are like guaranteed to be a great success, like law, uh, doctor, you know, these kind of stereotypical roles. And I don't really think that many parents or family members understand that there's other alternative options out there to kind of make them a success. I think it's better now, but back then I found that there was quite a lot of pressure to, you know, academia and that was the only route to success and university was the way to go, that kind of journey. Now, you mentioned the Donny Job Shop. So back in, what, 2013, yeah. you founded the Donny Job Shop. It's a non-profit organisation, and it was basically yeah. because of your own experience where you went into a job centre. You didn't feel it was particularly supportive. You, you kind of sent me some notes before we hit record where you said you effectively felt like you ticked a box to receive benefits. And you wanted to show others that no matter what their background was, there was always an opportunity, uh, there was help and training available. Uh, and within the first six months, well, actually, no, I'll shut up and I'll let you explain what happened over the first six months because it's really quite incredible what you managed to build in that short sp space of time. Thank you. Um, okay, so a bit of background about uh, the Donny Job Shop. Um, I, when I, just before I went into the training dental nursing, I've had numerous health conditions throughout my life. I've been in hospital a considerable amount of my youth and um, obviously life events happen. I, I wasn't supposed to initially actually be able to have children. I was told I was infertile and you know, this event happened, a uh, young pregnancy scenario, and it just wasn't, this sounds awful, but it wasn't enough for me. I realized that I needed to be having something else that, you know, work or, or, or learning or training as well as being a mother. That's just mm. what suited me. Um, and I remember going into the job center and they were saying because of the situation that I was in at that moment that I kind of ticked a criteria where, I suppose the only best way to explain it, um, the support that they could offer me was exceptionally limited. And I didn't want to be a statistic and I didn't want other people to be a statistic. So I spent loads of time searching the paper, seeing what was possible for me to go down, see what jobs I could do. And an apprenticeship in dental nursing came up. It was in the right location for me to access it provided support with childcare. There was a nursery straight opposite the road. At the time, I didn't drive, so that was perfect for me. And I kind of just went with it and progressed. And at that point, I really, really understood that certain people are kind of... That not everybody has to be a statistic in their life. You know, that different things change. People come from different backgrounds. They experience different things. And it's important that... People understand they don't need to be a statistic. You know, there is options out there. We don't have to just give up and accept what society says for us. So anyway, in 2013, um, I was on maternity leave and I was studying as well um, to go back to university. I was studying my HE access degree, uh, access diploma at Doncaster College. This was so I could go to university to the software engineering. And I created a little site and it's based on providing uh, opportunities for employment, education, training in the Doncaster area, uh, supporting people with things like CV uh, enhancements or rewriting applications for them, providing them with the knowledge that they need to maybe go back to school or go into a new job sector, training opportunities, that sort of thing. And after six months, we gained a fantastic response and we were actually nominated for Business Achievement at South Yorkshire Business Awards in 2013, just six months after after running. Um, we now have a network of over 13,000 people. 
Out of interest, you mentioned there that people don't want to be a statistic. And you yeah. mentioned kind of around a couple of hard skills, CV writing, some training. Yeah. But what do you think yeah. it is that people really want? Is it is it confidence? Is it some hard skills that they can take away? What, in your experience, was that thing that really made it work and resonate with people? I think determination is key. I think you need to really be confident in what you're trying to achieve. Um, I'm a real big believer in the education stamp so to speak like university degrees etc they only go so far and I think it's more about you as a person and it's about you advertising that and exposing that when you're going for a job or you're going for an education opportunity as an example it's important to understand the skills that you also provide alongside those like academic kind of approvals if you will I think it's important for example if you're a stay-at-home mother there's a lot in that or you're a stay-at-home father or you're a a young carer perhaps it's important to kind of advertise the sort of day-to-day duties that you have and adapt them to the role that you're implying I really do think that's key I mean that's probably very relevant unfortunately now with soaring well with unemployment likely to soar it is soaring already but but likely to 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 increase anyway people are going to be looking at new sectors and new careers and I suppose they want they want that confidence that their skills are transferable and and that what they're doing already can be applied to different situations right yeah i completely agree and i think what it is there the key factor in that is really just having the confidence to understand how you adapt those skills you know you get to certain levels in organizations you're in management of course there's different sectors but i know so many people that have gone into technology at a higher level of management or publications or different sectors everyone's skills are transferable and it's just educating people to understand what they're really worth and what they're doing on a day-to-day and not being put off by an application that says something like you know we prefer someone with a degree or we prefer something that meets this set of qualifications it's about having that confidence to really advertise yourself and go for it and see what happens now, one of the things that I love is that you uh, described yourself um, as someone who has a fully adaptive adaptive role. You're, you're working remotely. Well, I suppose we, we are all working yes. remotely now. So <laughs> not to say that's not an achievement, but I, I suppose it's now a sign of the times. But you've got a family. You've got, what, three children? Three children, yes. So that's a full-time job in itself. I don't have any. <laughs> I've got a nephew, and that's that's enough for a minute. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you also say that you, you you know you don't plan to stop progressing your career until your CTO level uh, and you want to show people that it doesn't matter what background you've got or what your circumstances you can achieve do people do people intrinsically believe you when you first tell them that or do you have to really kind of go no this is what I've done um in reference to the CTO comment I know that most people that know me want to it's something that I'm really passionate about it and the reason for that you know is that I know from being a young parent that the world wanted to shut me out and make me a statistic. I know that statistically I shouldn't be where I am now at 30 years old. And I understand that. I feel like it's so important for me to get to that kind of level in an organization to be able to show all the people and inspire those people that have gone through similar experiences that it is possible. You know, you don't have to go straight from school to uh, A-levels to Oxford University, Cambridge University, go through all these different platforms of what's considered high society and success because it's not. It's all about 
you and you as an individual and what you're going to be determined to do. And it's about showing people that these things are possible. I mean, most people throughout, you know, I've had, I have had over the past few years, people laugh when I say that, you know, I'm going to get to CTO level in my lifetime. Um, but none of that matters. It's all about opportunity. It's all about grabbing the opportunity. It's all about telling people, you know what? Yes, I can. There's nothing that you can do that I, I can't do. And our background shouldn't differentiate that. Surely fewer people laugh now. I mean, they've got to be slightly <laughs> crazy. <to laughs> fewer people laugh now. It. Yeah, fewer people laugh now. I think it's um, it's even more important in this day and age as well because the I do a lot of work around the women in tech following as mm. well. I remember going to back to university as a mature student and when I started my course, there was only four females, four females on that course. In the final year, there was just myself. And the first two years were really difficult because I wasn't, I didn't have the same kind of interest. I couldn't socialize. I, I couldn't really go to like things like freshers weeks and stuff because I had the children. So it isolated me more and more for group work. And I almost quit so many times, not because they were doing anything wrong, but just because that whole like anxiety, if you will, and, and, and lack of confidence in myself kind of started to make me feel, no, maybe this is too much because I didn't have that peer-to-peer support. In the second year, towards the mid to end of it, I kind of like forced myself on a group and we've actually become really, really, really good friends. Um, So that really, really helped. And yeah, I'm really grateful for that. But you've got to have that confidence. And if, you know, I didn't have that push or that confidence to kind of continue with my path, then there's so many different times I can think where I'd have just quit or I'd have just left or I'd have listened to my mum when she says, you're doing too much. You need to stop. It's not, it's, you know, it's not healthy for you. You need to stop. And I just think I have so many people that need an inspirational story to show that anything is possible as long as you put your mind to it. One last thing to ask you that I, I'd just be curious about. Yep. Your career's on, uh, it's an upward trajectory. You know, you're, you're getting bigger roles. You're still at a, I wouldn't say you're at, a, at an early stage of your career, but it's certainly not, you know, it's not halfway through yet. That's for sure. You're only 30. Christ, I'm 35 and I, I still think I'm at the <laughs> earlier part of my career. So, um, Thank you. And yet your eldest must be 12? He's 12. He's 13 in August, yes. Right. So beginning to probably have ideas about what he might like to do. Right. And you're yes. going to be going to parent-teacher evenings. And it must be weird having not actually been that far removed from that situation yourself all that long ago and working with the Donny job shop and having experiences of how teachers did or didn't kind of encourage you do you look at the way that he's being educated and go you know what i wish that teachers gave more of this and kind of maybe some advice to parents to help engage with their with their educators of their children to, to make sure they grasp opportunities so i've done i've done numerous motivational kind of talks if you will already in schools and with my children it's all about making sure that whatever they're doing, it's making sure that they're happy. You know, there's no set subjects. There's no set kind of like forceful, if you will, kind of career path to success. It's making sure that whatever they want to do, there's a passion. My eldest in particular, he's just picked his GCSE subjects and he's autistic. So it takes him quite a while. He's got to consider other things, you know, exam pressure, things like that. He's got to really enjoy the subjects that he's chosen as his options. And, you know, one of the um, one of the best things is when we've been to parents' evening, and there's still an assumption there. There's still a really, really strange thing when you go to parents' evening of um, 
are you like the older older sister kind of thing, which I suppose can be quite embarrassing because um, we, we obviously look so similar, but we're, we're, there's, there's well, there's not much of a gap between us. There's 16 years. So mm. that can be quite difficult, but it is so refreshing when I go there and, um, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm an engineer. Oh, right. There's, there's that, there's still that kind of a bit stigma between subject choices. And I, I mm. always say this, I think that go at, looking back at school, what the only thing that seems to matter to the majority of students is the ability to work with their friends. So the subjects and the peer relations that they choose is going to be associated with those subjects, which is why I believe stereotypically you get perhaps more girls preferring things like drama or art and, and the boys more preferring things like, I don't know, engineering options or computer science. And it's about, it's about giving those people that, um, it's about giving those children kind of the confidence to think, no, I, I do really, really like enjoy being part of that peer group, but we need to understand that there's different things that I enjoy. And it's just about them having that confidence. Like would, for example, a female student, is she likely to choose an engineering course if she finds out that the other 29 people on that course are, are male and mm. then becomes a contributing factor? Look, I think your story is amazing. Uh, you know, oh, thank you. I shouldn't call it a story. That, that doesn't do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, uh, so best of luck with the new, newish role at egress. Thank uh, you. It needs to go well. And, uh, yeah, having a child taking GCSE options scares the life out of me. So <laughs> fair play there. Uh, thank, thank you for you. taking some time to talk to us on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. Did you realize that your Geordie accent came out a bit more when you were talking to No, like, did he? Uh, yeah, She's yeah, from yeah. Doncaster. Yeah, I know. But like some of the words that you were pronouncing, I was like, what? It's like I can't remember what you said. It's when you were talking about like, was it visiting your gran on on the train or or like your grandma? Yeah, well, my, so my grandma lived in Grimsby, so you had to go through Doncaster to get to Grimsby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, so you don't you don't go to Grimsby unless you have got a very good reason. Right. Okay. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, it's like when you were telling that story, you just got quite like your accent just changed a little bit. I was like, listen to it going what. Oh, right. I spent, I spent my entire life talking to Southerners. When I get an opportunity to talk to some, someone from the North, it just... Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Out, it does it? come back a little bit, yeah. Oh, dear. Look, on that point, it is an interesting one because I, I think when she was talking about being a statistic, mm. I don't want to labour this point too much, but unemployment in the North of England is more of an issue, I think, uh, typically speaking. I think that people growing up in rural areas in northern communities in old mining towns etc um probably have slightly fewer options available or their horizons are slightly narrower and when she's talking about being a statistic or just another statistic i can i can really appreciate that like it's no coincidence that a lot of kids travel south to london for opportunity because there are limited opportunities unfortunately in other parts of the country so you know, joking around about my accent, but I did, I did, that really tapped into something when she was talking about that. Um, and yeah. what she's, what she was doing with the Donny job shop is, I think is truly remarkable for an area that South Yorkshire is deprived. Yeah. It's, it's, and also to be honest, and I didn't really know much about that part of England or, or the kind of geography or, or you know, that, that kind of area. Um, but when you look at things like social mobility, which has been quite big in, in recent years. So if we were to look at London, you know, you're looking at kind of places in Southeast London, South London, East 
you know, the east side of London and, and finding, you know, people or finding kind of the, the younger generation that can come forward in tech, that can come forward in, you know, the, the kind of academia of, of, of the UK, basically, and, you know, where these kind of talents are hidden almost um, away from your kind of, you know, normal areas or, or the kind of very built up areas in the UK. But that Donny Job Shop stuff, the fact that she was doing it off her own bat basically and, and you know kind of just lending a helping hand job applications and cvs i mean i work in the recruitment industry yeah, and obviously you do as well but the amount of time that must take and especially if that's not your career that's not your kind of main focus you know the fact that she was doing that because of her passion um i think speaks volumes in it and yeah brilliant absolutely great um and i hope that you know, people like her can be motivation for others, um, you know, kind of in that area to to kind of really broaden their horizon and not just be considered a number. Um, well, you know, from that I side. like the fact that she talks about that, you know, there's no set path to success. And I think she says it when she's talking about her autistic son taking uh, options now for GCSE. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's a really important point. And, and she can say that with complete credibility, you know. Um, uh, unexpected pregnancy, um, dropping out effectively of education, becoming an apprentice dental nurse, then going back and being a mature student and now being a lead engineer with aspirations to be a CTO. And I wouldn't mind betting she'll get there pretty soon with the kind of determination that she's clearly got. And how wonderful for her to be able to turn around and look, you know, this is my story and be a role model for for her own children. It's fantastic yeah. and, and absolutely yeah. shows that there's no set path to success. Yeah, 100%. And also, I think I think one of the, the main things we've had just in the last few few months on the podcast where we've talked a lot about, you know, inclusion and, and diversity in the workplace and, you know, um, are women given the fair chance? Are mothers given a kind of fair chance? And is there some sort of bias towards that? The fact that she – I like the fact that she didn't really allude to – you know, feeling restricted or, or anything like that during her, you know, kind of time as being a, a working mom, having kids, being married, you know, unexpected pregnancy, all that sort of stuff. She just went, you know what, I'm going to crack on with it and roll with the punches, which just mm. made me think, wow, that's amazing because she's not letting herself, she's not giving herself any excuses really, um, which is no. great because it's something that I can definitely learn off and a lot of people I think can learn off because if there's an excuse to, to use, I'll use it, you know? Um, oh, mate, so, I, I'm five years older than she is. I've got no children. Yeah. <laughs> she's got three. Yeah. And also, and she's, she's talking about... Slaying it kind of career-wise. You're like, yeah. wow, okay. Yeah. And she's I, I, need, about, I need to readdress what, what challenges I have in my life. Mate, 100%. She's doing all that. And then also that GCSE stuff whilst we're in COVID and her son's probably not going to school. There's probably minimal help from, you know, where teachers should need to step in on day-to-day. She's probably doing that. Yeah. Blimey, fair enough. You know, give her another one. We're just the losers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome to the losers podcast. Oh, no, 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 no. Dear me, dear me. No, but no um, I do do also want to point out very quickly, uh, I, I loved her I loved her comment towards the end about, you know, um, STEM and at school and teachers and parents. And she makes the point that, you know, when you look at, at classes and if you're a, a young woman looking at a STEM career, and that class is 95% male, obviously it's going to be off-putting. Mm. And, and I don't know how you change that because 
you can't force people to make the choices that they make, but people keep making the same choices at that stage in life. And, and I suppose they follow what their friends do and they are influenced by teachers and, and parents. So it's, it's going to be difficult to get more women to go, you know what, I am going to stick with STEM regardless of if I'm the only girl in a class of 25. Mm. And, and I, that is a challenge and it's a hard one to know how to fix it. Massive challenge, massive challenge. And, and I think all the studies, all the, you know, the McKinsey's, the Deloitte's, all these sorts of people that, you know, normally the the kind of conclusion is that it all comes down to at that level, if we're not getting enough females into the system doing these, you know, kind of STEM choices and STEM courses, then obviously there's going to be a, you know, kind of um, an imbalance when it comes to later on down the down, you know, in, in people's careers. So how how do you get around that? I don't know. You, you know, it, it, it comes down to, I think, your kind of background and, and, you know, whether or not you feel comfortable being in that situation. But also at the same time, I think that the institutions that, you know, you kind of go to, um, so your universities, colleges, that sort of thing, I think they could do a lot more maybe um, to encourage females um, to do that. Because mm. I think, I think, if they had female, I, I don't know what the, the teaching landscape is like, but if they had a lot more females that were maybe teaching those courses or helping teach those courses, you know, that may help. Um, there could be some extra stuff that they could offer, you know, females. Um, because let's be honest, if you if you offer a, a guy, an 18-year-old guy, I'm generalizing a lot here, but if you offered him a, a good university with a fairly social kind of outlook, Plus, you know, maybe a bit of sport or, or kind of arts if they were into that, along with a, a kind of you know, STEM degree, they they take it. I'd take it, you know. Um, but in order to get kind of females into the system, I think we just need to make it a bit more appealing. Um, and also probably, you know, throw less less light on building a career as an Instagram influencer or some sort of blogger or a, you know, kind of celebrity status type person and actually you know let's give back to science let's give back to technology engineering and the uk and and you know the the kind of overall world really with with what we can offer and what we've been given so yeah that's what i think absolutely look sophia amazing to have you on the podcast we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back with a little bit of a chat about being safe cyber safe in your home working space my fa- oh, that's like asking my favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite podcast? Uh, I think Football Ramble. House of Rugby. Um, Billy Yang's um, podcast. Freakonomics. Um, is Science Versus, and they're always very quirky. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I listen to that a lot just because the camaraderie and the individuals. Your Cast is a brand new podcast series where we talk to people making podcasts. On this show, you're going to hear some exciting new talents as well as some of the biggest names in the podcasting industry. We're releasing weekly in all the places where you'd normally get your podcasts from. Well, welcome back to Tech Talks. Uh, we are going to very quickly talk about the fact that there has been a huge rise in hacking attacks on home workers during lockdown. So get this, Akish. The proportion of tax targeting home workers increased from 12% of malicious email traffic before the UK's lockdown began in March to more than 60% six weeks later, according to data. Yeah, according to data from Dark Trace. Shout out to Dark Trace. Uh, they have been on the podcast before. We've had uh, Dave um, on the podcast. So a bit of a shout out there. Um, 
So the attacks have increased in sophistication, specifically targeting coronavirus-related anxieties rather than the more usual attempts of financial fraud and extortion. In early May, Darktrace detected a large malicious email campaign against UK businesses that told employees that they could choose to be furloughed if they signed up to a specific website. Other attacks have targeted the tools used by remote workers, including fake requests to reset VPN accounts, Zoom video conferencing accounts with fake sign-in pages, or accepting incoming chat requests from colleagues on supposedly corporate messaging systems. I mean, it makes sense, right? We're all at home. We're all using different tools for the first time. Yeah, fine. We might have had teams at work, but no one was really using it like they are now. We're getting used to this entirely new way of working. We have got a million and one different tools. People are taking advantage of it and people need to be aware of that. Yeah, 100%. That is scary. That jump from, was it 14% to 60%? 12. 12 to 60. 12 to 60% over a matter of weeks. That's ridiculous. Um, It's, oh, I don't know. Can't these guys just give us a break? Like, it's hard enough as it is, you know, to all these hackers. I mean, I know you're probably, you know, trying to be cool and on the next thing, but come on, like the whole of the, the blimmin' world's working from home. Everyone's like, I know I'm trying to get used to all this technology. Still am. What are we, six weeks down the line now? And What, what I love, what I love, Akish, is you're trying to appeal to the better sense of people yeah. who are... What you get? I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to extort people. Yeah. I'm come on, like, guys, give us a on. break. Guys, honestly, there's, there's people with kids running around trying to do their daily job, <laughs> right? They, they've probably got their kids on Zoom with their teacher at the moment, plus they're trying to do their own work. And these guys are just sat in their bedroom with about three screens trying to hack people's details. Yeah, Yeah, it's just like, it's ridiculous. But I do think we need to be a bit more savvy. I mean, I I don't know about you, but initially I was just so nervous with the whole kind of working from home. So I kind of get it where I didn't have a clue what Zoom was before we were in lockdown, to be completely honest with you. Um, And I I didn't have a clue about what about, you know, kind of teams, like you said, even though we were in the office and we all had the the platform for, for a few months. No one used it because I'd just turn around. Even if Dave, you sit right behind me in the office. So I just used to shout over, you know, the person sat in between us when yeah. I wanted to talk to you. So realistically, we weren't really using it. But I think that I think maybe we should just be a bit more. I think with, without trying to make it tedious as well, because the other thing that organisations could do is have ten million passwords that you need to put in for everything. You know, which yeah. is which is again that that takes a lot of time and effort. And I don't know about you, but I've probably got one password for, 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 ev- for pretty much everything in life um but i don't know it's just something to be wary about and let's just yeah. let's just keep our wits about it but. it's worth mentioning so that people are aware the best thing around security is education so just be safe what you're clicking on you know yeah yeah and if it doesn't look quite right it probably isn't I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's what someone once told me so if it doesn't look you know right to you then just stay away exit get rid of it Well, look, thank you for tuning in today. We will, of course, be back at the end of the week. Akish, go enjoy the sunshine. Hopefully your neighbours are doing whatever mental things they're doing with the lawnmower. (laughs) And uh, we will talk to you soon.